Today's podcast is brought to you by Gamefly.com. Sign up for a premium, free, 30-day, one-game-out trial specifically for Picture Lock listeners at GameflyOffer.com slash PictureLock. You're listening to WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous, award-winning Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. The 2018 DC Black Film Festival Call for Entries is now open. Filmmakers can submit through Film Freeway. Visit dcbff.org for more details. Now, this is a jam-packed episode. This weekend, the 6th Annual DC Webfest hits Washington, D.C. I have the festival team on the show to talk to you about what you can expect to see. I also have some web series directors in the fest and another film fatale. It's jam-packed. And that's all ahead on Picture. What's up, everybody? This is John Dr. T. Tucker, director of my film Possum 2, and you are listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and founded in 2013, DC WebFest serves to entertain, educate, and promote the innovative forms and diverse voices in the new media landscape. From web series to apps to games to VR, they celebrate new media in its ever-changing form. You have the opportunity to check out DC WebFest in its sixth year, April 6th through 8th, 2018. And I have, I've got the whole gang on the line right now. <laughs> I have founder and director of DC WebFest, Otessa Gadar, the project manager, Amy Young, and team lead and event photographer, Diana Young. Ladies, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank, Thank you for you. having us, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I know you guys have to be uh, excited about this year. Um, Otessa, if you could, just for our audience, um, you know, you are a friend of the show you've been on, but for those that aren't quite familiar with DC WebFest, could you kind of let them know what inspired you to create it? So let's see. So I started it on just like a wing and a prayer. Year one was essentially me looking around the industry and being like, you know what? There are people creating some awesome web series. It's, it is growing. Um, it's an, a safe haven for people who want to create that wouldn't otherwise get to create, you know, their stories, but it's a major bummer because there are, you know, when it came to the, you know, how do you make your career launch? There was still very much of the, well, you're gonna hope that you get into a really good film festival, and then your film's gonna be your calling card, and then hopefully that leads to something, and hopefully you didn't go broke in the process. Oh, and also, the um, all of those really prestigious film festivals, they're gonna want either a domestic premiere or an international premiere, so if you put it online, you're totally ineligible. So if you were doing online work or you know digital media, web series, any of the above, then you either had to clip your project's wings um, to go this traditional route that honestly was just really taking a shot in the dark, and it wasn't really meant for online work anyways. So there was uh, one web fest out there, and I was thinking to myself, because I had been living in New York previously, I was like, it would be so, so cool if the next time we had one of these, it was in D.C. and not New York. And that's just my Washingtonian, like, underdog, like, <laughs> I swear, I'm going to be in New York. Um, but people turned out and people showed up. And that was amazing. So here we are now. We've added, oh, my gosh, we have so many more categories now. So I think three years ago we added VR and AR and games. And now we also have added this year um, to, online, uh, to online writing. We have blogs and we also have podcasting. Um, in addition to web series and digital shorts. You know, if we could camp out right there for a second, because I think that um, that is really interesting to me because uh, in terms of online, all the things that we can do, um, it is an ever-changing form. And so in terms of like 
staying up on that? Like, how do you guys kind of decide, like, what you're going to bring into it? Because I, I find it fascinating, like, um, when I've been to DC WebFest in the past, um, just some of the VR models that are up that you can actually do and play with. Um, but, you know, instead of it just being about, like, web series and, and, and films and things like that, it's becoming something that's, like, larger, but you're able to kind of capture it all, which is technology. I don't know. I For me, it seems like yeah. it's an overwhelming thing, but is it for you? Like, how do you guys stay up on it? In my mind, um, it's, I've just always, when people ask me, what do I do? Uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that, it, well, either I stumble and give a very long description. I'm like, but I swear it all makes sense together. <laughs> or sometimes I'll just say, you know, I mostly I'm a digital storyteller. And whether that's through like creating programming or this festival or through teaching or through coding or any of the stuff that I do, I still think it's all telling a story dig digitally. So when I look about when I look at um, what we're seeing online and what we're seeing in terms of people's digital storytelling, VR falls into that, podcasting falls into that, blogging falls into that, and I'm just really obsessed with uh, all of those things. Sorry, that is. My sister. <laughs> what you said makes absolute sense, right? Like podcasting, that's a way to uh, tell stories. It's a way to talk to people these days. And, um, you know, all the different things I think is just amazing. This is Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and I'm talking with the team from DC WebFest. You can catch the fest this April 6th through 8th, 2018, uh, in Washington, DC. So, Amy, as project manager, can you kind of give us a preview of what we can expect at this year's WebFest? So we kick off events on Friday, April 6th, and essentially, almost as soon as people show up, there's stuff to do. We've partnered with General Assembly, and they are offering two different classes, one in digital marketing and one in intro to Python for free for our festival attendees. And after that, it's just a running party of events. We have our podcast speed dating thing. Um, we have VR, AR, and gaming demonstrations. We have our blog and script uh, official selections present and talking and on, on panels and discussing sort of the nature of where we are when it comes to creating these digital stories. So it's going to be a bunch of fun. Everything's happening. Later that night, we go to the Australian Embassy where we are showcasing our international web series selections. And boy, do we have just the coolest stuff this year. It's going to be so awesome. And we're so excited to partner with the Australian Embassy on this. Um, afterwards, and our... Eat and, and eat their food and beverage. Thank you, Otaka. <laughs> um, we also have our uh, keynotes being delivered there. And the next day um, is sort of... We, we take another look at the policy of where we currently are in America. We are partnering with Creative Control and talking about IP law and how digital creators can protect their work. And in this partnership, festival attendees get to meet one-on-one -on -one with high-key, high just the best IP lawyers that normally you'd pay hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to consult with, but you get to meet with them for free about your digital concerns. Whether you just want a definition of the difference between copyright and trademark, or if you are looking for something more substantial, it's there for you. And we're super, super excited to bring that to the table as well. I mean, we'll be showcasing our US web series selections, we'll be looking at more digital media, sort of interfacing with each other. And to sum it all up, we are having a closing conversation with FCC Commissioner Clay Clyburn, Minion Clyburn, and we're super jazzed about that. And we're hosting our um, uh, our awards ceremony at MIG office, which hasn't even opened yet. So it, that's an extra value add, which is just like crazy. We're like, that's a pretty cool thing we're doing. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's, we're going to be all over in different sectors of the city. People get to interact with the city in a way they might not have um, previously. And we're all just super jazzed about it. So Amy, I think, you know, all of this stuff sounds really great, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, IP law, I think this is going to be phenomenal for, uh, the artists that come and even patrons, um, all the different things that are going on, podcast, speed dating, VR games, demo. But at the end of the day, like why? So what is the why behind all this? Like why does the DC WebFest find that it's important 
to highlight these things and to make sure that people that come are able to learn about them? Well, that's kind of a two-part, it's a two-parter, it's 50-50. One part, one fifty percent is it's so much fun. Like, just to meet other creators, people who have different ideas from you, people who are coming from other countries, to interface on this level about this thing that we're all super passionate about is essential. I mean, and the other 50% is meeting new people. That's why we do this. That's why Otessa started it in the first place, um, is to create a place where the digital world that we create has a voice and is respected and really has a chance to get out there and be celebrated in ways that aren't celebrated in, I don't want to say that, but like more traditional festivals. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and I'm talking with the ladies from the DC Web Fest. Amy, I appreciate your answer on that because I do think that it is important. I think in so many ways, like as creators, sometimes we just create and we don't necessarily know the pipeline of what to do afterwards or after you create something, right? So important things like um, just your... Uh, intellectual property that you create like what in the world what do I do with this like how do I protect myself because it is kind of in some ways still a wild west when it comes to um, things that are online and um, video on demand and things like that uh, you know with everything that's uh, coming out every every day every year there's something different so I think it's really important to have this information at our fingertips so that we can be better prepared so I really do appreciate the fact that you guys are doing that now mm-hmm. Diana Eaton is the team lead uh, and event photographer Diana could you talk a little bit about some of the sponsors um, folks that'll be there for or, or that have definitely helped to um, propel DC Webfest this year. Sure. Well, we do have some big name sponsors. We were fortunate enough this year to have Google come on aboard again, as well as AT&T. We also are working with different um, government organizations like the Office of Television, Film and Media and, and Entertainment, the OCTFME. Yeah, yeah, that one. We have that office that we're working with. We're also working with Sweet Green. We're also working with Kind Bars. So, um, yeah, we, we, and also, um, VIA, VIA, which is, uh, similar to Lyft as far as transportation. So we, we have some pretty cool sponsors. The experience has been really, really cool working with everyone and just communicating back and forth. And it's, cause I, I just think it's really cool that so many people want to come on board and support us again for this year as we're growing and expanding. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. I saw that there's some red carpet opportunities for folks, um, but I guess people should come ready to have their photos snapped. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the photography, we definitely make sure that we capture a lot of um, photos, just like last year and the previous year, if we want to capture these moments. Because for a lot of folks, it's, um, it, it's a really great opportunity to network and to meet other like-minded individuals. So I definitely look forward to having the pleasure of snapping all those photos of all you cool folks and and such. <laughs> awesome. All right, so uh, if I could, Otessa, sure. you know, this is a six year. I think I ask That's you like- this every single time. Like, what are you most looking forward to um, in, in your sixth year? Okay, so what am I most looking forward to in the sixth year? That's a tough question, but also an exciting one to answer because I'm actually excited about a bunch of stuff. So. I think um, I am always super excited when, you know, when they say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, I am always excited when I'm like, okay, we're the first one to do something and now everyone else is doing it in the web series world. So when we started doing VR and AR, no one else was doing it. Now, three years later, they're all doing it. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. We were onto something. You know, we included games three years ago and everyone's doing that. So now we're including like the blogosphere and podcasters. And I think that that's going to take off as well, because when I look at digital storytelling, I'm glad that we're including all these other people and also like putting them in an environment where we kind of shake them up and are like, okay, now meet people, go do things with people, create and commune and collaborate and, you know, explore the space and think about different ways that you can get your message out there. Um, And yeah, and we're even doing this year, it's super secret, but I know this is going to be coming out a little bit later. So we're going to be doing a flash filmmaking uh, project like a 24-hour web series thing that I'll announce when I do the opening um, like kickoff remarks so and we encourage people to do it as like 
no budget DIY is humanly possible because that is where this all started. This all started as a place for us to do stuff without, with no money, with our friends. It was never like a, you know, Hollywood kind of, we don't, we don't want any like ethnic female directors. No, we want all of you. You can do it. You don't need any money. You get 24 hours and then we'll select a winner and showcase their work at the closing party. I'm excited for the parties too. We have amazing speakers and we have amazing food and drink. Um, and uh, I'm excited also for the fact that we're GA is doing um, coding classes for us because I think that sometimes as creatives, we don't realize how much um, coding and tech we're going to need, whether it's for our blog, um, whether it's for graphic design, like there's there's a lot of like technical needs. So putting that out there and whether it's digital marketing or whether it's, you know, OK, I did this. I have intellectual property. What does that mean? And really making sure that you're aware of what IP you actually have so that you can protect it. Um, and then also connecting with other people so that you can, you know, create and have, find your tribe. All of those things are awesome. And I think we provide all of those. Um, and I'm super pumped because this year, um, each category uh, has like a, a prize that is going to be associated with it, whether it is um, office space that make offices for six months um, or podcasting. Uh, thanks to Podcast Village, uh, whether it's podcasting resources and um, mentorship for, you know, for the for a significant period of time to really get you off the ground, um, or whether it's software or whether it's, you know, all, all different types of space, mentorship, um, facilities, abilities, like all of the above, but making sure that when people receive an award, it's not just, okay, good for you. Here's a pretty plaque we appreciate you everyone clap you're on the red carpet you know awesome but it's also like okay and here are some tools and tricks and we care and we want you to go out and do the next thing like keep creating and here are things that will allow you to keep creating I right think i think that's super important that is something that i definitely believe in uh with the other film festivals that i direct is that hey these are the fresh voices these are the folks that are doing it really for the passion, something that they're passionate about. And so um, by providing those resources, I think it's a great thing because uh, then we can keep getting those fresh voices. So Otessa, one of the big things that we haven't talked about is how can people get tickets? Oh, okay, so you can go to dcfs.org slash tickets. And today is actually the very last day for early bird tickets. Um, but yeah, you can get a full festival all-inclusive pass or you can get a day pass or you can just pick, you know, if you say, hey, I really want to go to this coding class or I really want to do the podcasting or I really want to see the web series, whatever you're interested in, you can buy tickets to either that day's afternoon block or evening block or a full day. So you can really, it, it's kind of choose your own adventure. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, again, I've been talking to ladies from the DC WebFest. DC WebFest is going to be taking place April 6th through 8th this year. You can find out more information. At dcwebfest.org. <laughs> or follow us on social. We are always at DC WebFest on any platform. So yeah, DC WebFest, you'll find us. And my name is Otessa. So also, that's a weird name. If you just search my name, it'll pop up probably too. <laughs> awesome well Thanks, uh, vanity name yeah otessa amy diana thanks so much for coming on picture lock thank you thank you for having us kevin it's always so nice to hang out and, and explore new technologies and do this digitally let's take a quick break for promos stay tuned What's up, guys? Thank you so much for listening to and supporting Picture Lock. I absolutely love film, as you know, and have given my life to studying the medium. As a filmmaker, I understand what it takes to make a film from its inception to the big screen. As a critic, I've been able to see the business of film from the marketing side of things. And as a film festival director, I've been able to see the distribution side, but more importantly, the enormous amount of talented filmmakers out there creating and crafting stories from their heart. And that's why I've started Picture Lock PR. If you're a filmmaker or producer looking to engage audiences and create relevance around your latest or upcoming project, head over to PictureLockPR.com. We can help you with your film's publicity from pre to post-production. Get more information and see the clients we've helped in the past at PictureLockPR.com. 
Picture Lock PR. Finally, a partner as passionate as you. For you, the listeners of Picture Lock's podcast, Gamefly is offering a premium free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I used to play PlayStation a ton pre-kids. I had money to buy the latest game out, but I really don't have the time or money like I used to to give towards my hobby. That's why Gamefly makes so much sense. For a low monthly fee, I can get the latest console and handheld game delivered to my door. I keep it as long as I want and can send it right back to get a new one. The cool thing is, if you like a game so much that you don't want to send it back, you can keep it for a low use price. There are never any due dates or late fees. To get your free trial today, go to GameflyOffer.com slash PictureLock. Again, that's GameflyOffer.com slash PictureLock for your free 30-day trial. Hi, this is Nancy Bursky, the director of The Rape of Rishi Taylor, and you're listening to PictureLock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and hashtag Who Killed Heather is a 36-episode murder mystery web series following college student Andrew Olson on his personal investigation to uncover the truth behind the recent murder of a classmate. I have the co-creator and director of the web series, Neil Fisher, on the line. Neil, welcome to Picture Lock. Yes, thank you for having me, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad to be here talking about the series and just excited uh, to be in the festivities of the DC Web Fest. So we're, we're all excited, our, our whole cast and crew. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, so, Neil, the first question I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? Uh, so my, my love for film uh, really started uh, in the home. My mom has always been uh, sort of obsessed with Hollywood, with with old movies, the glitz and the glamour uh, of of Hollywood. So when I was young, you know, we would take uh, a trip or two to California to visit some family members, uh, you know, having some fresh uh, orange juice lemonade uh, from a tree and then kind of walk around the nice weather. And so when I was a kid, <laughs> uh, my mom would, uh, uh, instead of reading me kids books, a lot of the time she would read me, um, you know, books about Humphrey Bogart, Marilyn Monroe, uh, <laughs> show, show me old movies, show me like, uh, th- this is what, you know, Grace Kelly did at this award show. So stuff like that. So um, so since I was very, very little, uh, I've just been um, constantly consuming all types of, of movies and media. I'm a huge film nerd. Um, and, you know, I have to thank my mom for that. But uh, it's really through my mom that I fell in love with film and uh, more specifically the VHS tape of Howard the Duck that I wore out when I was about four. So <laughs> I love it, man. You got to appreciate those moms that put us on the good old school Hollywood films. That's right. Exactly. All right. So, Neil, if you could, like, kind of just give us your backstory. How did you actually get into uh, the film industry? Uh, So I've always been involved in the arts. Uh, In high school, I was in, you know, I was in a band. I was uh, drumming in the bands. I was uh, in choirs. I did uh, theater. So I really started um, acting um, and singing. So on stage and then uh, throughout high school, I just kind of decided you know, I love performing, but um, I really, really love being behind the scenes, behind the camera. So I started making short films and uh, directing some of the plays in high school and college. Um, and I sort of, uh, while I was making short films or different projects, I started getting into producing. And I, and I uh, told myself, if I really want to make it in the industry and I really want to uh, better myself as a uh, filmmaker, as an artist, I have to learn every job. So I started you know, PAing, I did producing, I did casting, uh, location scouting, um, any job that I could, I could do that would give me a perspective of someone else on set so that, you know, I, I just felt like if you're going to command a crew of, of grips and, and PAs and, uh, art department, you have to know what they're going through and not just assume that everything's easy or everything's going to be a quick turnaround. So I, I tried to take all the jobs that I could and, um, you know, went through college, uh, making films. I studied in London for a semester um, and uh, shadowed a a bunch of really great directors. So while I was doing film stuff, writing some screenplays and and pitching projects, I um, joined a a company called Radar Studios in Chicago, who does uh, commercial production. And for about two years, I've been um, on their roster of directors uh, trying my hand at commercials, which has been a great experience as well. So I'm still kind of always learning, uh, which is great, I think. Oh, yeah. It's always important to always be learning. 
It's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with Neil Fisher, the co-creator and director of Hashtag Who Killed Heather. So, Neil, if we could, let's go ahead and get into Hashtag Who Killed Heather. Uh, in your own words, what is the web series all about? Uh, well, as filmmakers uh, and people who love film like yourself, um, you know, we're all inherently curious. So uh, the story stemmed from a shoot that uh, my co-creator, uh, Kevin Kirchman, and I were on. We were actually doing some drone footage and the drone was four or five hundred feet away from us. We couldn't really see it. Uh, it was kind of off in the distance in the clouds. And we said, you know, what, what would happen if this drone came back and there was crazy footage on it? And it started with you know, maybe it was a, an empty car or uh, it was a person walking strangely, but then it turned into, well, what if we, you know, found a dead body? What would happen? So uh, hashtag who killed Heather is basically about a college filmmaker uh, in film school named Andrew Olson. Uh, he gets a SD card from his mom in the mail that she accidentally vacuumed uh, like moms sometimes do. And uh, he, he gets the SD card. He, he watches it and he sees a dead body that he had never seen before. And this is footage from a year earlier. And he realizes that it's one of his classmates named Heather Ross. And the entire series, he basically uh, has his own one-man investigation into who Heather Ross was, why she was killed, who killed her. And it sort of uh, throws his relationships with his girlfriend, his best friend, his classmates, and law enforcement uh, sort of into a tailspin because he's he gets so deep into the investigation that you're not quite sure how he's going to make it mentally, physically, emotionally uh, throughout the series. And that's what we wanted to play with. We just wanted an old-fashioned um, whodunit with um, high production value, uh, cinematic writing, but made for the small screen for the web. Yeah, you know, I love the fact that uh, you guys just started with a question. And that's a lot of times I feel like that's how uh, great creativity uh, is brought into the world and definitely into the world of filmmaking where you're just like, Man, what if, what if this drone footage came back and we saw a body? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's pretty much what you guys did. But like, going off of that, like, you know, because because that moment in in the web series, like, you know, when it first starts out, that's kind of what is like very intriguing. Like, wow, what if that happened? So uh, I'm definitely glad that you guys kind of followed your heart on that. Neil, what were some of the difficulties in actually creating this? Because there's, uh, you know, a good bit of it is kind of locked into a webcam and we're viewing this kind of like from the computer screen. Um, so what are some of the difficulties that you might have faced with it? But then also, uh, what were some of the great moments? Right. So it, they almost kind of go hand in hand. Uh, the way that we we filmed the majority of it, I would say 90 percent of it, maybe 95 percent of it uh, takes place in Andrew's dorm room. So what we did is we built a 10 by 10 set um, on our small stage at Radar Studios and, uh, you know, fully decked it out as a, a college dorm room. It almost looked like the one that I lived in in Iowa City at University of Iowa, which was really creepy. It was like brought me back. Um, just no no kids running around in the halls. But so we built this set and our original goal uh, that Kevin and I had was we wanted all the actors to basically do each episode in one unbroken take because we hadn't seen anything like that on the internet before. And with my theater background, we were like, you know what, let's hire some really great theater actors from Chicago and um, they'll get the script down. We'll do it. So we we tried to do that and we, we succeeded in many episodes that you'll see, which is pretty cool. Like there's one episode, I think it's maybe six minutes where it's completely unbroken. There's no editing um, and these actors are just phenomenal. And so the challenge was originally trying to get all of these episodes in unbroken takes. But what we, we realized was it's a lot of content because we would shoot six or seven episodes a day. And we filmed basically the entire series in the dorm in about four or five days, which was a lot of work to do. And we originally wanted to shoot them in order. So it's easier for the actors, but everyone's schedule is all over the place. So we ended up shooting all of the episodes out of order. So they're not only going from you know, episode seven where everything's great. And then right after that, they had to like mess up their hair and go to episode 27 where they're going insane. And <laughs> it was just a lot, it was a lot to ask the actor. So the, the struggle was scheduling and, and getting all of the performances uh, within our time constraints. But the joy of it was just seeing these actors, just unbelievable performances. You know, they came in, you know, from the day before they had done, eight hours of, of uh, episodes, and then they had the next eight already memorized, ready to go on set. And uh, it's just a testament to 
um, just how great uh, a group of performers that we had and how lucky we were to have uh, such great performers. Yeah, you know, uh, as I'm looking at like one of the stills, what is it about, this is random, what is it about college dormitories and those like cement walls? <laughs> like, oh, I, you know, <laughs> everybody has that. I know, you know, um, so I had that at Iowa, uh, which I thought was funny. And then, um, you know, what we wanted to do is when we, we came up with the idea for the dorm room and the webcam, we said, you know what, we, we could make his dorm room a little, you know, Hollywood where it's just like friends, like no one could ever afford that apartment on friends. So we were like, well, we can make the dorm room a little bit bigger. But then we said, you know what, just forget about it. We, we both lived in, in dorm rooms that had the cement walls and it all, always felt like a jail. And this character, Andrew, is really in his own head the entire series, making himself go crazy, uh, analyzing everything, being neurotic. And we felt, you know, what's a better way to represent that than by having a college student almost trapped in his own jail cell trying to figure out a mystery by himself. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. I'm talking with the co-creator and director of the web series, hashtag who killed Heather, Neil Fisher. Neil, so if, if you could, uh, what's been the audience response thus far to seeing the web series? I think it's uh, it's been really great. You know, it's a long uh, investment. I mean, it's, it's basically a three-hour movie, um, but we, we sort of made it for people to binge. We were really excited when the whole series was out so that, that people could just go from episode one and watch it straight through. So uh, we've had great responses. Um, I think uh, the best response we've gotten is people don't know who the killer is uh, until the very end, um, that they're they're constantly guessing throughout the series, which is a testament to our writer, uh, Dan Eden, um, who uh, was just uh, an immense help um, with the project. It was uh, Dan, Kevin and myself uh, wrote the series. And, um, you know, so the audience basically the, the most fun part was watching towards the end, the last six episodes. Someone would comment on YouTube. I think it's this person. And then all of a sudden the next episode, like, oh, wait, I guess I was wrong. I think it's this person or maybe it's this person. I'm going crazy and they're pulling their hair out. So um, that's been the best uh, response is people appreciating the acting, appreciating the writing and the work that went into it. And then most of all, um, watching them uh, sort of punch themselves in the leg going, oh, I thought I had it, but I didn't. So that's been the fun part. <laughs> nice. All right. So, Neil, if you could, for the audience that's listening, how could they check out the web series, follow you guys on social media? Yeah. So um, if you guys want to, you know, check out the the full series on YouTube, just go to uh, YouTube dot com slash who killed Heather. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at WKH series. And if you want to uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, you can go Facebook dot com slash who killed Heather. Awesome. And, uh, you know, just because I can't let you go, you also have a couple other podcasts you host. You go ahead and list those as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So um, if anyone likes trivia, um, I have a, uh, a trivia podcast that I co-host uh, with my friends Jeff, Matt, and Ken called Triviality. And it's uh, basically a weekly uh, trivia game show podcast in the vein of like a pub quiz that you would go to at a bar. It's 25 questions. It's very conversational. Um, everyone has their specialty on the show. I'm the film nerd, obviously. And then we have a geography, science nerd, sports nerd. Um, and uh, it's just a fun show, uh, very relaxed and then I also have a movie podcast uh, with uh, my editor, Mark P. Smith. He's an editor at Radar Studios. And uh, we talk about um, films. We have interviews with uh, directors, uh, actors. Uh, we had a, a great interview with uh, director David F. Sandberg, who directed uh, Lights Out. Annabelle Creation is currently doing uh, the Shazam movie. Um, and we're going to have some new interviews coming up. But um, that podcast is actually going to be a new sister site uh, and podcast to Triviality. And it's going to be called, of all things, Movieality. So, um, Movieality is the movie podcast. Right now, it's called Best of the Best. Um, but uh, just uh, maybe wait a few weeks and, and look up Movieality, and you guys will get to check out our whole back catalog and hear, you know, two filmmakers uh, geeking out over best Chicago movies or best movies with uh, mobsters in it. So, it should be pretty fun. Now, you know, that's got to be love if I uh, am putting my audience onto another movie podcast. <laughs> yeah, so. we're going to have to have you on, Kevin. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll definitely be awesome. Co-creator and director of the web series, hashtag Who Killed Heather. Neil Fisherman, I appreciate you coming on Picture Lock. 
Yeah, it's been a it's been a pleasure. Uh, I'm excited to continue listening to your show. And uh, just a shout out to not only uh, hashtag Who Killed Heather's casting crew, but to all the casting crews of all the uh, fellow official selections. Uh, you know, we all did it. We made it to DC Web Fest, and uh, I wish everyone continued success uh, releasing their series and just uh, making making films. Hey guys and girls, this is Eric Christopher Myers, writer and director of Butterfly Kisses and Roulette, and you are listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and darkly funny and achingly honest, How to Buy a Baby follows Jane and Charlie through a cycle of IVF. A realist rom-com-like catastrophe, the series provides a voyeuristic view of a marriage under pressure and proves that even the most difficult experiences that challenge our very biology can connect us to humanity and make us laugh. I have the creator, writer, and executive producer, Wendy Littner, and executive producer and producer, Lauren Korber, on the line with me. Ladies, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. It's my pleasure. Um, this is a hilarious web series. I can't wait to talk about it. The first question I usually start out with, though, is when did you first fall in love with film? Do you want to go first, Lauren? Sure. The first, what, the first time I went to see a movie in a theater was the first time. And the first movie that I ever saw in the theater was E.T., and I was in love. Nice. Did you uh, like get Reese's Pieces right after or what? That part I don't remember. I was pretty young at the time. I mean, it was actually before I was born, so I'm not even really sure how I saw it in the theater. But, well, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. No, no, that does not count. <laughs> you cannot watch a movie from your mother's belly. That's just... <laughs> okay. I was trying not to date myself there, but <laughs> failed. Um, so, yeah, I don't remember the Reese's Pieces, but I just remember just being mesmerized and just wanting to be glued to the screen from there on out, and I pretty much was. Awesome. Wendy, how about you? Uh, me too. I think, I, 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 is it okay to say this? It was pre-knowing pre about the accusations, but I saw Annie Hall, and it was just the funniest thing I'd ever seen. It was so moving in the idea that you could be so poignant and, uh, and, and funny at the same time. I just, the idea of being able to tell, tell, a, tell an important story in a funny way just really moved me. Most definitely. I think we can separate the art. Uh, <laughs> So if you, if you, I was really, I was really young when I saw it. I didn't know anything. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, so if we could, let's get into like a history lesson and you guys' backstory. How did you get into the industry, Wendy? I'll let you kick this one off. Sure. So uh, to me, being able to make art seemed like wanting to be an astronaut. I didn't think it was possible. Um, I was a really miserable lawyer, and I happened to have met Lauren at law school, who was also, if you don't mind my saying, Lauren, a miserable lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I decided that I, I came to a point where I decided I'd rather succeed as a writer than fail as a lawyer. Um, and so I started pursuing writing, and thankfully, uh, Lauren, too, was making uh, a bit of a career change, and so we got together and joined forces. You know, that's pretty amazing because it seems to be a thing lately. Like, I know a lot of lawyers who have gone from law to film. So this is really interesting. Lauren, I, I'd love to hear your backstory. Yeah, yeah. We call ourselves recovering lawyers. Um, <laughs> so my backstory is um, I actually did an internship in L.A. before I went to law school. Um, I worked out there in film distribution and I met a lawyer turned producer and I was like, great, I can go to law school and make my parents happy and then I can produce super easy. Right. Um, so I went to law school in Toronto. I practiced entertainment law for five years and then I decided that getting a paycheck was overrated and I should definitely produce. Um, so I'd been producing on the side for as long as I'd been practicing law and, uh, and I made the transition over, uh, almost five, six years ago. Yeah. Do you guys think that, uh, you know, the, the analytical side of you in terms of like law and then being a producer, because, you know, you really have to be on your P's and Q's, is that what really helps for making that transfer? I think the attention to detail definitely did, but I think if Wendy doesn't mind me saying, I think like both of us, like our hearts were more in the creative always. So, but I think when you go to law school, it sort of trains your brain on how to think and to pay attention to the details. I think that was really important. 
I don't know that it helped me. Lawyers are the worst. <laughs> except for, except for well, Lauren. I'm just going to go great. with that anyway. <laughs> She's great. <laughs> it's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the creator of How to Buy a Baby, Wendy Littner, and executive producer, Lauren Korber. Uh, so, ladies, if you could, for the audience, uh, just in your own words, uh, what is How to Buy a Baby all about? Uh, How to Buy Babies about a couple struggling through a round of in vitro fertilization. Um, it's based on my own hilarious and experience to have a baby. Um, and I wanted to uh, bring that story uh, just to the screen and, and be able to be able to tell that. Um, I think it's something we don't see a lot, especially in this sort of Facebook world of of gender reveals and pregnancy announcements. Um, and so I just I wanted to tell that story of a couple struggling in a, in a funny way. You know, I think a lot of times, like, uh, humor, right, the best humor in comedy tells truths within it. So it's like a dose of medicine, but, like, allowing you to think. Um, and so the the thing that, you know, I have not had to experience this, at least with my wife. So in, in many ways, I feel, like, blessed that, you know, we were able to have our kids. But I do have friends that, like, They'd been trying for so long. They've done IVF. That didn't work. And so I feel as though, like, this is really a modern-day story, and, and, and it really hits on the times in terms of tech. Like, everybody is always announcing, you know, either a baby being born, uh, a baby shower. We watch the little, you know, them open up the box, and what color balloon is going to come out? So I, I would f imagine that that could be difficult for folks that might be struggling um, so could you kind of talk about maybe what the reception of uh, the web series has been thus far? Like, you know, are people really resonating with it? Uh, we've been so lucky that people really are resonating with it. We've been getting messages from people sort of all over the world telling us their story and, and talking about how um, powerful it's been for them to see their struggle told. Um, we, we hope that it's helping to reduce the stigma in terms of being able to talk about it. I think a lot of couples um, sometimes have trouble talking about it to friends and family. And so people have told us they've been able to show this to their friends and family to say, um, this is what we're going through. And um, to speak to your really great point, even for people that haven't been going, th that haven't gone through it, it's sort of something that's like infertility is kind of trendy right now. Christy Teigen's made it super hot. And now we can, uh, people sort of are getting a window into what that experience is. And it's just sort of about a couple that hits a roadblock. And I think any relationship um, goes through um, goes through issues like this where um, there's just a strain on the relationship. You know, um, th there have been uh, some people in my life, and I'm not going to name names, but like uh, that'll that'll ask a question about like a friend that we have, and like why haven't they gotten pregnant yet, um, or where, why haven't they had a kid yet, right? And so I think that sometimes we don't stop to think, well, maybe that there's an issue um, there. So I think that like. Uh, a web series like this is really important to help people to think about, hey, maybe there is something going on behind closed doors, which I think the main characters kind of address in a hilarious way, right? And so I wanted to say that, like, I think that the way that you guys wrote it, um, it's great because uh, it, it's not bitter, like that bitter, angry comedy, right? But it's just like, it's hilarious. You laugh with them, you cry with them. Um, so I just think that that is so awesome. Oh, I'm going to cry. That means so much. Thank you. <laughs> My husband and I felt really committed to trying. We felt like infertility was bad enough. We wanted to at least tackle the humor <laughs> and keep our sense of humor intact. And so that means so much because it, it's it's hard at times not to feel a bit a bit bitter. So I, I really appreciate that. that. That means the world. Yeah, you're definitely welcome. Folks, it's Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the creator and executive producer of how to Buy a Baby, Wendy Littner and Lauren Korber. One of the questions that I have is, what, what was one of the fun and exciting moments in creating the web series, and what was one of the more difficult moments? Ooh. Do you want to do the fun one or the difficult one? Um, I can do the difficult one. Um, the difficult one for me, I think, was... Um, seeing some of the, I, I, some of the anecdotes were personal and I felt like, um, they didn't upset me so much when they happened in my life, but watching our lead actress, Megan Heffer and go through it and people say those terrible things to her, I actually found more upsetting to sort of take a step back and, and see it. And I felt so badly for her when people would say 
say these comments to her that I felt more emotional watching her go through it than having gone through it myself. Yeah. And the good, the good was all of it, right, Lauren? All of it, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, one of the best things for me was working with Wendy. You know, we were friends in law school. Like, this is just something that we never really thought would happen, and then it did. So that was amazing. And also, we had such an incredible team behind us, primarily of awesome powerhouse badass women. Um, you know, we had an amazing female director, Molly McGlynn. She's the name. best. Um, you know, our composer, Amy Visada, was stellar. She wrote original music for for the show, and we just had such a strong, amazing team. Our editor was fantastic, our cinematographer, everybody. Yeah, so. it's inspiring working with such amazing people like Lauren and Molly and Amy, and just getting to learn from them and be inspired by them is an incredible opportunity and experience. And yeah. hopefully we'll get to do it again. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that um, when, one, when something comes from a place of like true uh, passion and inspiration, like that it reads on the film or on the big screen. And I think the same thing when you have a team around you and everybody's on board, it reads well as well because um, I, I definitely think like just in seeing some of the episodes, um, everybody came uh, to play and everybody came to give their best. And uh, so I definitely think this is a web series that folks need to check out. If you could, like how can people follow you guys on social media, online, etc.? Uh, we'd love people to follow us on social media. We have an amazing community on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at How to Buy a Baby. Yeah, we're trying to build a community of sort of like-minded people who are, um, you know, have struggled with this or going through this or want to know about it. And um, it's been really supportive and amazing. Or who just love comedy based on real life. Or you can take something that's really difficult to go through and laugh about it. Because sometimes there are just no tears left. And humor is great medicine. That is absolutely true. And I definitely think for some of us, this might help us to think next time before you say, why haven't you guys gotten pregnant yet? And right. for others, <laughs> like, you know, like you said, it might just be something that like uh, helps them to kind of dust things off and laugh a little bit. So I think that it, it goes two, threefold. So I definitely appreciate you guys putting this together once again creator and executive producer of how to buy a baby wendy littner and lauren corbett thanks so much for coming on picture lock thank you so much we're so excited to be here uh hello i'm hello i'm Hugh martin and i'm the director and the writer of dragon race and you are listening to picture lock you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, and Caribbean Girl NYC is an original dramedy series following the lives of four 20-something Caribbean women living in Brooklyn. Isabel, a narcissistic and immature aspiring actress fresh off the plane from Guadalupe, dreams of being rich and famous and finding love in NYC. But there's only one problem. She has no working papers and no money. I have the writer-director Mariette Montpierre with me to talk about it. Mariette, welcome to Picture Lock. Hi, happy to be with you. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you. Uh, the first question I always start out with is, when did you first fall in love with film? Well, when I, uh, I grew up, I was born in the island of Guadeloupe in the French West Indies, and my aunt was the first uh, cash registrar uh, in the movie theater, the only movie theater that existed on the island at the time. And um, it was my babysitting. Um, I uh, went to the movie theaters every day. I saw karate movie, Indian movie, Western, all kinds of God-related movies. And that's how I fell in love and I became passionate with movies. And when I moved to Paris with my mom, we used to go every weekend and uh, and we then watched a lot of American movies and a, a lot of religious mo religious movies and also what we call the peplum movies so and musicals all the musicals so that was my background and that's why you know I I, I fell in love with images. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I totally love that. The fact that you're able to be, as you said, babysat by uh, the big screen. I mean, that that's awesome. <laughs> um, so the next question I kind of want to ask you is just, if you could give us like a little history lesson of kind of how you broke into uh, the film industry. Well, when I grew up in Paris, I always thought that I, my dream was to live in New York. So I got a scholarship. I went to Smith College in Massachusetts. And then when I graduated, I started to work for a, a black radio station, WBLS. And then very quickly, I landed in uh, an advertising agency called BBDO because it was the only way I could get a regular steady paycheck um, because I didn't know anybody in New York. So I worked for Barbara Mellons, the head of a TV productions, and I made co uh, I assisted her in making commercials for Pepsi, Fedora Express, Pizza Hut, Gillette. So I was... I really learned my craft as a producer, then I became a TV producer. So I learned commercials, TV commercials, and then... Um, after learning how to tell a story in 30 seconds, I said, okay, I do not see my stories on the screen. I'm a black Caribbean woman. I have stories to tell and nobody's telling my, you know, talking about my story. So I, it became to me a duty to really represent my people and women and the Caribbean. And so that's how I started. And uh, I first uh, I decided, okay, I will no longer be doing commercials, but I will fall, I will diving into um, the world of independent filmmaking. So I went from being a TV producer, making, you know, nice money, to becoming an independent filmmaker, a filmmaker trying to make my first film, Elza, E-L-Z-A, which was the story of a French-Caribbean woman living in Paris, going back to the island where she was born to look for her father that she has never met, that she, she never met. Because in the Caribbean, just like in, in the U.S., there is this huge issue of the absent father and, uh, and the impact of living without a father. Who, who do you become? What kind of person do you become? Where the, why the father is absent and et cetera, et cetera. So that was my first, um, that was the, th the first subject that I tackled and uh, what I wanted to, you know, to, you know, to talk about on the screen. And it was a, um, a, a, a very intimate um, story because it was partially autobiographical. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson. And I got to say, I'm jealous right now because it is raining here in Charlotte, North Carolina. But I'm sure it is nice and sunshiny for Mariette, who is on the beautiful island of Guadalupe right now. She's the writer-director of Caribbean Girl NYC. Um, Mariette, you know, I, I got to say, I love the fact that, and I can really, I can really relate to you on this, the fact that you said, listen, um, I don't see my own representation right now, so uh, I have the skills to tell a story. I'm going to pick up a camera and do that. I think that that is um, awesome, and we need that. You know, as the founder of the D.C. Black Film Festival, that's really what I want to do in terms of having, um, you know, people of African descent and their stories being told on the big screen. Um, so if you could, just that leads us right into Caribbean Girl NYC. If you could kind of just give the audience a summary of the of the series but then also what inspired you to create it well you know i i i always like to talk about my experiences because this is what i know and i wanted to gather a team of beautiful powerful women caribbean women and talk about our experience in New York, because you know New York is is made of so many different communities, and the Caribbean community is well and thriving in New York. You know the you know the British Caribbean, the French Caribbean, the you know the Spanish Caribbean. We form such a huge part of the population, and we are uh, bringing you know so many wonderful add addition to 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 the to the culture to the New York culture, and we never talk about us, you know. Uh, when you see 
Um, you see, you see shows about, you know, with Caucasian, you see shows with African American, but what about the Caribbean? We're here strong and, and I felt like it was time to talk about our experience because so many people are from the Caribbean. It's amazing. And so it's the story <laughs> of all Caribbean women, one from Jamaica, one from Barbados, one for, from uh, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, and one, one from the French Caribbean island, Guadeloupe, coming together, living in one apartment, and making it in New York. They're in their 20s. They're making mistakes. They're falling in love. They're having fun, and they're learning about life. And what's very interesting also is that New York, in this case, is actually the suburb of the Caribbean because there's always, you know, back and forth, back and forth movement between the Caribbean and New York. And New York is now the, you know, the suburb of, uh, of, of the Caribbean. And I think that's so funny. And so it's a dramedy because it's, there's a lot of funny situation, but also it's, it's a lot of dramatic situation because those girls are going through a learning process in their 20s. They don't know what they want to do. They fall in love. They fall out of love. They, they have sex. They, you know, they have boyfriends. And, and uh, life is fun and tragic sometimes. That's what Caribbean Girls NYC is all about. And so what's great is that this has never been done. It's a unique show which fills a gap in, you know, in the... Um, the audiovisual landscape in uh, in the U.S. and around the world. It most certainly does, um, you know, because I, I think about that. Uh, you know, I have a friend who's from St. Kitts. Uh, shout out to Taisha. And, uh, you know, we always laugh and joke about, you know, how she says vegetables and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, like, actually being able to kind of see um, you know, and experience the Caribbean culture through the lens of these ladies. I think that's super important. So one question I do have is for the audience that's listening, how can they check out the series? Well, right now we are uh, the first of the pilot is going to be aired in the British Caribbean in, you know, all the islands, Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad and Tobago, you know, etc. on a channel called Flow, F-L-O-W, and it's not yet scheduled to be aired in the U.S. It will, it will also air in, in France uh, at a later time this year, but I cannot tell you uh, anything about airing in, in America because we don't have um, a, a broadcaster. However, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram by uh, uh, typing Caribbean Girl NYC, and uh, also you can check uh, the trailer on YouTube and support us that way because we are um, about to we are developing, you know, 13 episodes. And it's a challenge, and we need all your support. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I saw just from looking at the uh, uh, behind-the-scenes photos, you, you have, like, a, a real crew. Like, I saw, you know, C-stands and, like, multiple people, you know, walkie-talkies. So that just lets me know, you know, it's the real deal, Holyfield. So, folks, you know, especially for... It's the real deal. <laughs> For the American audience, I'm sure that we can um, really kind of demand that, hey, we want to see this film or this uh, series on uh, our local TV station. So um, Yes, and I wanted to, you know, to add that we're getting the support of this ama amazing Canadian uh, company called Caribbean Tales um, uh, International uh, with uh, Francis Ann Salomon and, uh, and Nicole Brooks, uh, along with the broadcaster Flo. They are doing a tremendous uh, 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 amount of work to develop, to identify, and then support uh, talented people like like me, like you know, talented Caribbean uh, filmmakers. Because it's hard when you come from the, those part of the world to be making films. You know, you're from the Caribbean, you're black, you're a woman. You know, although we have great things, uh, you know, going for us, we're still you know very much in, invisible. So we are fighting. Caribbean Tell International is fighting to make us visible, and I thank them. Well, Mariette, thank you so much for fighting to make sure that uh, your voice is heard and that people are represented. Um, once again, I appreciate you coming on Picture Lock just to talk with me about Caribbean Girl NYC. And I definitely wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Kevin. It was a pleasure, you know, being with you. I hope we'll do it again once we have our 13 episodes. Oh, most ready. definitely. <laughs>
That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Otessa Godar, Amy Young, Diana Eaton, Neil Fisher, Wendy Littner, Lauren Korber, and Mariette Montpierre for coming on the show. Be sure to catch up on back episodes and subscribe in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say, Alexa, play Picture Lock on TuneIn, and I'll come right up. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. I promise I'll bake you some cookies for it. <laughs> uh, don't hold your breath, but, you know, it's a good, it's a good pitch. <laughs> you can find Picture Lock on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Pinterest, and Periscope. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picturelockshow and subscribe to it to get some incredible value and see interviews with filmmakers and the like. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. Did this episode resonate with you? What's your favorite Picture Lock episode so far this year? Are you going to DC WebFest? These are the questions I need answers to, and I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email and let me know at picturelockshow at gmail.com. All music is done by Mike S. The Prophet 13. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.